Hello again, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Belmont Campuses podcast. This is Pastor Brian, pastor of Mount Hope Belmont's campus. If you've been with us, you know we are right in the middle of the book of Nehemiah, a story found in the Old Testament in the Bible. It's about a guy doing a huge rebuilding project. And listen, all of us have places in our lives where we find ourselves needing to rebuild, and so we're learning from Nehemiah. What does it like, look like to rebuild well? This week we talk about how to handle it when we feel like God wants us to do something, but there's someone or something that makes us afraid to take that step. How do we handle that fear? What's the secret to being able to do the things that we know we need to do in the face of being afraid? We talk about all that in this sermon, and I hope you listen closely because I believe that God has something he'd like to say to you. I don't know if this happens to you. This happens to me more often than I would like for it to happen. Uh, something that, that happens to me, and I'm sure that uh, if, if we invited my wife Lori up to the stage, she could give uh, many testimonies as to the fact that this is true. Maybe this happens to you. It definitely happens to me. What happens to me is that I often have ideas in my head that are much better when they're just ideas in my head than they are when I try to carry them out in real life. I don't know if that happens to you. I get, I, I get thoughts, I get things that I want to try, maybe something I want to say, something I want to do, and it seems like a great idea in my head. Maybe it looks good on paper, you might say, uh, but when I go to actually do it or say it or try it, it doesn't really go the way uh, that I would have hoped. Let me give you an example. When Lori and I were first married, we lived in a, in a condo uh, together, a, s- a small condo, and, and uh, it was great. We were happy, brand new married. And uh, I remember one night we were, we were headed uh, to bed, and Lori must have gone into the kitchen to grab something to drink, and I went in the bedroom, and I thought to myself, I had one of these ideas, one of these things that just seemed like it would be so much fun in my head, uh, but I didn't really think it through. And I said to myself... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide, and then when Lori comes in, I'm just going to scare her. And it'll be so funny, and everybody will laugh, and we'll both, we'll talk about this for years, how funny it was that time uh, that I scared her. And so I went, and I just simply crouched at the end of the bed, and Lori walked into the room, and she said my name, and she said it in a way that uh, I had never heard before. There was a fear in her voice because I had suddenly disappeared, uh, and she was anticipating, I think, maybe what might happen. And so uh, it was like all of a sudden, you know, our bedroom turned into like the Blair Witch Project or something, and that's way further than I wanted it to go. And so uh, I, I aborted the mission. I was crouched by, and I said, that's it. I'm not going to jump out, and I'm not going to scare her. So I just very simply stood up at the end of the bed and said, hi. (laughs) I had aborted the mission, but Lori didn't really realize that the mission had been aborted. And the scream that I heard, it would be like if you could just package up like every great scream you've heard in any horror movie you've ever watched and combine them all into one scream. We were in a building with 48 units. I was absolutely positive in that moment that the police were coming and I was going to have to explain why this scream came out of our unit. Lori screamed at the top of her lungs and immediately fell to the floor. 
And I don't know if I've ever felt worse uh, in my life in that moment. It was this idea that I thought was so great, and it ended up so terrible. And luckily, it's been 10 years, and she just forgave me last week, which I appreciate. <laughs> but I don't know. I think all of us have had a moment in our life where we found ourselves afraid. Uh, you've been afraid of something, and I've been afraid of something. Something has scared you. In fact, something, all of us know what it's like to be in a place where we're so afraid of something that we become paralyzed and we stop doing something because we've been afraid. That, uh, you know, we may not physically fall to the ground and not be able to move, but certainly we've been on a path in our life somewhere or we've thought we should probably try to do something or say something or carry something out, but we have been so afraid of something else. We have been so frightened by something that rather than carry that thing out, we have stopped and refused to do it. That fear has, has stopped us from doing the work or stopped us from being able to do the work that we feel like we are supposed to do. I think that's a pretty common experience we maybe all have. Maybe you felt like you were supposed to talk to somebody about something, uh, but the fear of what that conversation might be like or made you so afraid that you just never had that conversation. Maybe you felt like that you were supposed to uh, um, heal a relationship with someone, but the fear of trying to walk through that stopped you from being able to do that. Maybe you felt like you were supposed to take a job interview and something that you had never done before, but it just felt right to take it. But at the end of the day, you, you, you just passed on it because you were afraid uh, of what might happen if you walked into that room. There was all sorts of opportunities or things that we could have done in our life that, that seemed like they might have been good things to try, but we were afraid, and it just stopped us in our tracks. You know, that, that feeling of being too afraid to move forward or too afraid to do something, it's something that, that also impacts our relationship with God. It impacts the way we live our life. It impacts the way we live our relationships. It impacts the way that we live out uh, maybe our careers or our schooling. But it, it's also something that impacts our relationship with God. In fact, uh, there are things that we feel like God wants us to do. If you're someone that calls yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're someone that follows God uh, like I do, then my guess is you've had the exact same experience that I have. You feel like God wants you to do something. He wants you to trust him in something. He wants you to live out your life in a certain way. He wants you to be different than the people around you and do something that he's calling you to do. And so you want to do it. You feel like you want to do it. But when it comes right down to it, you're not able to say what he wants you to say. You're not able to do what he wants you to do. You're not able to incorporate a character trait or behavior in your life. And the reason is because we're so afraid of what other people might think or other people might say or other people might do or what might happen if we actually trusted God that we're really not able to carry it out and we pass on the opportunity? A couple weeks ago, we, we said, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it shouldn't surprise us that there would be people that would rise up and oppose us as we try to live out our life for God. We looked at something that one of Jesus' disciples, the disciple John said, where he said, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when people oppose you in this world. Don't be surprised by that. 
And one of the reasons that it happens, one of the ways that that people try to oppose us when we're trying to do the good work God is calling us to do is that people come and they try to make us afraid. And the reason that it happens is because making someone afraid is a very effective way to get them to stop doing something you don't want them to do, right? If you're a parent, you've used this technique. If you're a parent, you've used this technique. You've tried to use fear in making your child afraid of something so they won't do a behavior or an action you don't want them to do. You've said, listen, if you touch that, you're going to time out. If you don't get these grades, you're not getting a car. If you don't do X, then Y is not going to happen. Or if you do X, then Y is going to happen. We've all used this technique. We've all had this technique used on us. Every single class I ever took in college or in graduate school on the syllabus, there was this big ominous section about something called plagiarism and the penalties for plagiarism. If you would dare steal something off the internet or steal it out of someone else's paper, what the penalties would be, getting kicked out of school and failing the class and all these things that are important. And the reason that they're in there is because the institution, which obviously does not want people plagiarizing, is trying to instill fear in the students so that they won't just go online and cut and paste things into their papers. It's an effective technique. Your your boss uses this on you. In your company, this happens, where a boss might come and say, listen, if we miss our quarterly projections, there's going to be layoffs. If you don't change this behavior, you're going to be under review. This is a way that that people try to stop people from doing certain behaviors, is to make them afraid. And it shouldn't surprise us that in our life with Jesus Christ, that there would be people that would come and try to make us afraid. It should not surprise us that there would be people who would oppose the work that God's doing in our life. And when they oppose it, one of the things that they're going to do is they're going to come and they're going to try to make you and I afraid. It could be another person. It could be the enemy himself, the enemy that exists that wants to stop the work that God is doing in your life and my life. So God tells us to say something, or God tells us to do something. God tells us to go go somewhere. You saw the video of Don in Bali, Indonesia, and God spoke to your heart and said, you should go on that trip. And then the enemy comes in and says, yeah, but what about the money, and what about the time, and what about the... And all of a sudden, there's a fear there that says, yeah, 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 I can't do that. This happens all the time to us when God tells us to go somewhere or do something or say something, that the enemy would come in or someone would come in and create the opposition so that we are then afraid and we don't do the work. So the question before us this morning is, how do we deal with that fear? How do we deal with that fear? I've been in the place, you've been in the place, you felt like God wanted you to say something, you felt like God wanted you to do something, and the only reason you didn't open your mouth or, or do the work that God wanted you to do is because you were afraid of what might happen, what the other person's reaction would be, what the people around you might think, what might happen if you actually went and stepped out and trusted God. I've done that and you've done it. We've allowed that fear to stop us. So the question before us this morning is, how do we fight that fear? What is it inside of you and me? What inside of you and me is it that can help us fight that fear?
If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah. And in this story, Nehemiah is working to do a great rebuilding project that we've talked about. And so real quickly, I'll I'll recap it for you. Nehemiah is an Israelite. And for hundreds of years before Nehemiah was even born, the Israelites were in exile. Their city, the city of Jerusalem, was completely destroyed. And about 100 years before Nehemiah was born, a big rebuilding project began. The temple was rebuilt in the city. Houses and storefronts were rebuilt. But there was one piece of the city that remained in shambles, and that was the wall around the city. And Nehemiah stepped up. And even though the Israelites are still under exile, under an empire called the Persians, Nehemiah is leading God's people in rebuilding the wall around their city. This is the work that God has given Nehemiah to do. And wouldn't you know it, while Nehemiah is doing that work, there are a group of people that come and try to make him afraid. Just like people would come and try to make us afraid, there's an enemy that would make us afraid. The same thing happened in Nehemiah. They came to him and tried to make him afraid. And Nehemiah in this story, in Nehemiah chapter 6, does so well in not letting the fear get to him. And I think that there's something that you can learn and that I can learn that God wants to teach us and how Nehemiah responds. I'm not going to read all the verses in Nehemiah chapter 6 for us this morning. What I want us to do is I want to point out to you and tell you the story of what happens in this chapter, and we'll look at a few specific verses together. What happens uh, in Nehemiah chapter 6 is that this whole group of people that we've seen a couple times before in this story, they come back to try and stop Nehemiah. For some reason, these people are threatened by the work that Nehemiah is doing. I think they like the fact that the Israelites are the people that have always been under exile. They're the weak ones, and they don't want to see Jerusalem rebuilt. I think they like the fact that it appears that their gods are stronger than the God of the Jewish people, because as long as the temple laid in ruins and as long as the city of Jerusalem laid in ruins, then it looked like the God of the Israelites was weak. And so this, as the rebuilding project is happening and God's people are being restored to him, these people keep coming along, uh, men like Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and the, these names that we hear throughout the book of Nehemiah, they keep coming along and they keep trying to get Nehemiah to stop the work. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, the tactic they use is trying to make Nehemiah afraid. And they do it in three ways in this chapter, in three ways. The first way they do it is they come and they threaten Nehemiah with physical violence. Right at the beginning of the chapter, they send a messenger to Nehemiah, and they say, Nehemiah, we just want to have a roundtable discussion. We'd just love to sit down and talk with you about all this. So why don't you come out of the city and come and sit down and talk to us? But Nehemiah, uh, he knew exactly what they were up to. And in verse 2 of chapter 6, Nehemiah says this right at the end. He said, but they intended to do me harm. He said, I wouldn't go down to them because they intended to do me harm. Nehemiah knew exactly what they were doing. They were going to physically harm him if he left the city. And later in this chapter, they actually pay someone, Nehemiah's enemies pay someone to go to Nehemiah and, and make a false prophecy. So this guy goes to Nehemiah and he says, listen, God has said, you should stop building this wall because people are coming to kill you. 
And so you need to not only stop this building this wall, but run into the temple and hide from the people that want to kill you. Now, here's the problem with this. There's two problems. One is this person is telling Nehemiah that people are coming to kill him. And the second problem is if Nehemiah runs and hides in the temple, he's going to violate the agreement between God and his people. We don't have time to necessarily get into that all right now, but Nehemiah's position and the work that he's been doing have have left him in a state that it is not right for him to go run into the temple, that he would actually violate the commandments of God by doing that. So his enemies and threatening Nehemiah physical harm are also trying to get Nehemiah to violate his promises and his covenant between him and his God by running into the temple in an unclean state. So the first thing they do to Nehemiah is they try to make him afraid and threaten him physical harm. In fact, down in, in um, verse 9, after this, this false prophet comes, I'm sorry, in verse 14, after this false prophet comes, he says, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. This is exactly what they're doing, is trying to put fear in Nehemiah so he'll quit the work. You know, before they try this false prophet thing, his enemies come to him and they say, listen, we know what you're doing. They don't threaten Nehemiah with physical harm, but what they do in the second way they try to make him afraid is they threaten his reputation. Maybe you've had this happen before. They come to him and they say, listen, if you keep doing this work, if you keep building the wall, if you keep trying to make it look like your God is stronger than ours, then we are going to go to the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, and we are going to tell him that the only reason you're rebuilding your city is so that you can threaten him and rise up and take over his kingdom. Now, if you remember the story of Nehemiah, you know that Nehemiah and King Artaxerxes had been colleagues for a long, long time, and King Artaxerxes trusted Nehemiah. And so they're threatening Nehemiah's reputation. You you think the king thinks you're a good guy? Well, we know what you're really up to. And we're going to take that information back to the king. And we're going to make sure that he knows that you're a bad guy trying to harm him. And Nehemiah recognizes it for what it is. In verse 9, he says this. The reason they were threatening my reputation is they all wanted to frighten us thinking, Their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. This is why they're trying to do this. This is why they're attacking his reputation. It's so that Nehemiah will be afraid and drop the work. So they threaten him physically. They threaten his reputation. But there's a third thing that they do to Nehemiah to try to make him afraid. After the wall was built in just 52 days, Tobiah, one of these guys, started sending letters to some of Nehemiah's closest advisors, trying to get in with his friends and his people that are working for him, trying to get them to turn on Nehemiah. And Tobiah would send letters to Nehemiah too, just updating him where he is as he attacks the people that are close to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah says right at the end of this chapter, Also they spoke of his, that's Tobiah's, good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent me letters in order to make me afraid. And so the last thing they try to do to get Nehemiah to knock this off and stop the work they don't want him to do is they try to make him afraid by attacking the people that are close to him. 
attacking his close friends and trying to get them to turn on Nehemiah. Listen, maybe you've been in a similar situation. If you have tried to follow God with your life and follow Jesus Christ, I bet that every single one of us in the room that calls ourselves a disciple of Jesus Christ has a story of a friend or a family member or someone we trusted coming to us and trying to make us afraid so that we would not go down the path of following Jesus Christ. And if it hasn't been another person, there is no doubt in my mind that the enemy has come to you, the enemy of this world has come to you, and has tried to put in your heart and into your mind fears that would stop you from doing the work that God wants you to do. You feel like God wants you to love someone unconditionally, and the enemy comes or opposition comes and says, if you love that person in that way, what if they violate that trust and hurt you? And that fear stops us from loving the way God wants us to love. God calls us to be generous in some way. And, we, and we're going to be generous because we feel like that's what God wants us to do. And the opposition comes and says, what if you give so much that you don't have enough for yourself? And that fear stops us from giving the way that God wants us to give. God wants us to do a, a work, start a ministry, go a different way in our career, lead our family in a different direction, heal the relationship with our spouse, and we say, the opposition comes and we say to ourselves, well, what if it doesn't work? What if I try to heal that relationship and they reject me? What if I try the new career and it fails? What if I start the ministry and nobody shows up? And that fear comes and so we just don't do it. But Nehemiah is able to continue the work. So what's his secret? You see, we see in this passage that when they come and they threaten him with physical violence, Nehemiah continues the work. And when they come and they try to get Nehemiah to go running in the temple with his tail between his legs, he refuses to violate the covenant with God and will not sin and will not violate his conscience. And when they come and they try to attack those who are close to him, Nehemiah cleans house. And at the beginning of, verse, of chapter 7, he says, I, took, I got those people out and I put God-fearing men in their place. How is it that Nehemiah is able to keep it all together? How is it that he's able to respond in this way, that he doesn't just shut down and pack up? This guy had a good life, working in the palace for the king. He had everything he wanted. What stops him from saying, you know what, this isn't worth it. It's not worth having my life threatened. It's not worth having my, my friends attacked. This is not worth having my reputation maligned. I'm going to pack everything up. We're going back to the king, and I'm going to be his cupbearer again and just live in the palace and enjoy my life. You see, Nehemiah knows something that sometimes you and I forget. Nehemiah is confident about something that sometimes you and I don't realize. It's the same attitude that Jesus had when he walked on this earth. One of my favorite stories about Jesus is in Luke chapter 13. And in Luke chapter 13, there's this moment where Jesus is threatened almost the exact same way Nehemiah is threatened. 
You see, Jesus, when he walked on this earth, he also had opponents who wanted to make him afraid and didn't want him to do the work that God had given him to do. Nehemiah's work was to rebuild a wall and to help restore the covenant between God and his people. The work of Jesus Christ was was along the same lines, but even grander, that Jesus would restore the relationship between God and all of humanity and all of creation. And so uh, Jesus, just like Nehemiah, had people that would come and try to make him afraid and quit the work. And this is exactly what happens in Luke chapter 13. These group of people that want to oppose Jesus and make him afraid, they come to him and they say, listen, Jesus, you should run and get out of town because a man by the name of Herod the Tetrarch is looking for you and he wants to kill you. Now, we're not going to get into all the Roman governance stuff, even though I love it, and we could talk about it for a long time. But Herod the Tetrarch is the Roman governor in charge of the area where Jesus did most of his ministry. This is not a nice guy. In fact, very recently in history, Herod the Tetrarch had arrested Jesus' first cousin, John the Baptist. And does anyone know what happened to John the Baptist? His head came off. So when Herod the Tetrarch says he's going to kill somebody... Uh, and he's gonna, he, this is going to happen. It's probably going to happen. This is not a guy that's opposed to this sort of behavior. And so Jesus' opponents come to him and they say, Herod the Tetrarch is looking for you and he's going to kill you. And I love the response Jesus gives. This is the same loving, merciful, caring Savior This is the Jesus that said, let the little children come to me. But his response in this moment is very different. This is what he says in Luke chapter 13, verse 32. Listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus said to them, no prelude, just turns around and jumps right into it. Go and tell that fox. Now listen. This is not like an environment where you can go on Saturday Night Live and say whatever you want about the people that are in charge, all right? This is, not the, this is not a free society where you can walk out in the streets and just say what you want. I'm glad that we live in that type of world. I'm happy that we can go out and express our opinions. This is not that world. What Jesus does here publicly in maligning a Roman official is serious business, especially after it's been said that this guy's already looking for him and wants to kill him. Hey, Jesus, Herod the Tetrarch's looking for you. He wants to kill you. You should get out of town. You go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will finish my course. You go tell that fox. I'm going to cast out demons, and I'm going to heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, a reference that could only be referring to the resurrection of the dead on the third day, I am going to finish my course and complete my goal. And this is what Jesus says in that one sentence. He said, do you think, do you think for a second that Herod the Tetrarch, some Roman governor, is going to stop the work of God? Do you think for a second that my mission that I've been given from my Father in heaven to come to this earth and to take on the sins of all mankind, take them to the cross, die in your place and my place, and be risen again. Do you think that that work is going to be stopped, become some little governor who has a little throne in this part of the world, says that he wants to come and stop me? Do you really think that's going to happen? 
You see, Jesus knew exactly what Nehemiah knew and what you and I often forget, that you and I serve a holy, powerful, mighty God who is the creator of the universe and who is in control of all and sees all and knows all. And when he gives us a work to do, there is nothing that anybody in this world can do that is going to stop that work. And Nehemiah knew that a holy fear and respect of God is the only thing that can stop him from becoming wholly afraid. A holy fear of God is the thing that will stop you and I from becoming wholly afraid. That is the secret that Nehemiah knew. Last week when we looked at Nehemiah chapter 5 and Justin was preaching, he, re- he showed us the verse where Nehemiah said that he was a, they needed to be a people who feared God, that he's a man who feared God. And Nehemiah knew that fear and respect of who God is as the God who sits on the throne and is above all and is in control of all is enough to cover and stop him from becoming afraid of anything. What's the worst they could do to Nehemiah? They could come down and they could kill him. And then what happens? Nehemiah spends an eternity with God. What's the worst that could happen to you and me if we follow Jesus Christ with our life? What's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that could happen is someone would end your earthly life because you follow Jesus Christ. And that happens around the globe. But then what happens? You spend an eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. So no matter what anyone does to you on this earth, no matter what anyone says to you on this earth, no matter how much they might threaten you on this earth, no matter how much they might make fun of your reputation or malign your reputation or think less of you because you're one of those Bible-believing, born-again evangelicals that nobody really likes right now, no matter what anyone might say to you about your reputation, no matter how anyone might go to the people that are close to you and say, do you know what a religious freak that person is? No matter what anyone might say to you, that should never stop us from doing the work that God has called us to do because at the end of the day we serve the God who sits over this world and who's doing a work that is far greater and far bigger than just you and me and he's calling us to follow him and to live lives that he's called us to live and to be people who are different who love differently and act differently and are of good character, not because we're trying to earn our way into heaven, but because of who he is as our God and our King and our Savior and our Lord. And he is giving you a job to do. He is giving you a job to do. It might be to lead your family. It might be to serve in the kids' ministry here in the church It might be to start a different ministry. It might be just to love the person that you work with. It might be to love your neighbors around where you live. But God is giving you a work to do in order to promote his kingdom and to make his name great. And you and I so often, I'm guilty of this, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I I know you've struggled with this too, will not do the work, will not speak up, will not do what we feel like God wants us to do because we are so afraid of what people might say about us what this world might do to us. But would we know what Nehemiah and Jesus Christ knew? That our God is greater. And our God is stronger. And our God is higher than any other. And if our God is for us, then who could possibly be against us?
going to invite our worship team forward this morning as we close in worship. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe you're in a place where you feel this and you sense this. Where there is something that God is calling you to do or something you feel like you're supposed to do, something you feel like you're supposed to say, and the only thing stopping you is you're afraid of what might happen. I hope this morning would be a morning where you would be reminded that you serve a great and powerful and mighty God who is not going to abandon you and not walk away from you no matter what happens to you on this earth. My prayer is that by God's spirit, you would be empowered this morning to go and do the thing that God is calling you to do. We're going to close this service and worship in just a moment. And as we do, if you have a request that you would like someone to pray with you for, lift up to this great and mighty and powerful God we serve. My wife, Lori, and I are going to be up front in the sanctuary. We'd invite you if you would, and Bill and Karen Sullivan will be over here, to come up and to let us pray with you. And to go before our great God together and ask him for his strength and his help. Would you stand with me and let's pray as we worship our God and our King. God, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. God, we thank you that you are for us as your people. God, I pray that you will give us the knowledge and the strength to do the work that you've called us to do and not be afraid about what people might say or what people might do. Not be afraid about what we might lose or what it might cost us. But that our holy fear of you would prevent us from becoming wholly afraid. That our holy fear of you would drive us to trust you, drive us to walk with you, drive us to carry out the things you're calling us to do for your glory and for your honor. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship our God together. And if you'd like us to pray with you, please come forward. Hey, thanks again for listening to this sermon from the Belmont campus of Mount Hope. If you live in the Belmont area, we'd love to have you join us each Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you'd like to know more about Mount Hope Christian Center with campuses in Burlington and Belmont, Massachusetts, you can visit our website at www.mounthope.org.